0: Hey friends, before we dive into today's scripture, I just want to take a moment to thank you for worshiping with all of us here at Adam Down English Ministry. I had never ever imagined I would be posting sermon videos on YouTube, but then we had to make an emergency pivot as soon as we were in full-blown pandemic lockdown mode. Um, This entire experience has definitely stretched me personally in a myriad ways, but I am grateful for the opportunity I had to collaborate with incredible musicians who came to help out for our pray segments, the unending support we got from our senior pastor and our church members, and my husband who's been doing all the technical stuff behind the scenes, and really to be able to share God's word with all of you at a time when meeting together was simply not an option. Well, we're pivoting once more because new things are fun. (laughs) If you haven't noticed by now, we are now delivering your Sunday message via audio. That's right. I know that we are a multitask generation and you know it's actually quite the herculean task to simply sit still and watch something nowadays, am I right? And while I think it's still a valuable spiritual discipline to dedicate yourself to focused worship and study of scripture, I also understand that god is not limited to only one mode of delivery also i don't want to be that stereotypical old person who keeps talking about how things used to be back in the good old days (laughs) am i right that's annoying so i do encourage you to find a sacred space and time to listen and reflect on today's message or tune in during your commute, or while you're getting your morning caffeine fix. Whatever you choose, I pray that it may only add to your lifelong journey of faith and growth in Christ. I love and bless you all so much. Let's get started. So the scripture we're looking at today is John chapter 21 verses 1 through 17. This Bible passage tells us more about what Jesus did after he rose from the dead. And two major events happen in today's text. Firstly, some of the disciples return fishing. And the entire narrative is reminiscent of the early days, you know, when Jesus first called the disciples. They're fishing all night, but they catch nothing. And then early the next day, a mysterious stranger tells them to drop their nets a certain way And then suddenly they catch so many fish, 153 to be exact, according to verse 11. And then they realize it was Jesus who had been standing on the shore all along. Now it's not really clear how much time had passed since the previous Jesus sighting where the disciples, including the famous Thomas, had seen the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. But Jesus had told them that they would be filled with power and they would be able to go out and be witnesses and begin the gospel sharing work that we know that they all did do eventually. But it seems evident from the text that the disciples were getting restless waiting around. They knew that Jesus being alive again was a total game changer, but they didn't know what to do with it just yet. Or maybe they were just intimidated by what the future held for them. So instead of sitting idly by, they decide to go back and do something that they probably hadn't done in a while, which is fishing. Now, remember that back in the day, fishing wasn't the recreational sport it is today. This wasn't like an overnight fishing trip with the guys. Fishing was only an occupation and by returning to it, they were in essence turning their backs on what Jesus had called all of them to do. They reverted back to what was comfortable and safe. Do we ever do this? Why is that even a question? Of course we do this. We do this all the time. Whenever we feel God is prodding us in a direction that seems uncertain or out of our unreasonably small comfort zones, we tend to retreat or run the other way, don't we? And in so doing, we miss the opportunities to do remarkable things for God. We pose limits on ourselves even when God says, we can do more. Now, if you recall, roughly three years prior, Jesus had told the same group of dudes that they will be fishers of people. And that was the promise he made when he called them the first time. But then they decide, nah, that seems heavy. I'll settle for a fish. And then they turn out to be not so great at fishing either. All night they catch nothing, and it's only when Jesus turns up and gives them a strategic tip that they catch the mother load of fish, right? I'd like to point out here that even though Jesus could have rebuked them for walking away from their calling, Jesus does something stranger. He helps them do exactly what they set out to do like he helps them get the fish. But once they see the abundance with which God provides, they're no longer satisfied with just fishing for a fish. They're reminded that following Jesus gives greater pleasure, greater reward, and greater purpose. And they immediately abandon ship, literally, and head to Jesus who is waiting on the shore. And then this is the second major event that happens in John chapter 21. Jesus prepares breakfast for them. What an image of love this is. Because I feel like if I were Jesus by this point, I would be so disappointed in this group. Like Jesus had appeared before them twice already and had given them specific instructions to wait for the Holy Spirit. And these fools are out fishing I mean, the disappointment can go back even further than that. He had mentored them for three years, spending every waking moment together, showing them miracle after miracle, teaching them parable after parable. But at the moment of his capture and crucifixion, what did they do? They fled. Peter famously denied Jesus so fiercely in public that... At this point, he must have been so ashamed to look Jesus in the eye. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus feeds them. (laughs) He gives them bread and cooks some of the fish they caught. Then he has this beautifully intimate moment with Peter where he asks him point blank, Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Three times, and each time Peter answers, Yes, of course I do. Of course I do you know I do how could you ask me that and Jesus responds to each of those yeses with feed my sheep now what Jesus says to Peter and what Jesus demonstrates by literally feeding Peter and the rest of the disciples is the most exquisite and yet paradoxical image of forgiveness and reconciliation Verse 9 tells us that when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. This is describing the breakfast Jesus had set up for them. Now, it's interesting. This verse says, a fire of burning coals. A fire of burning coals. Burning coals. Where have we heard this expression before? Oh, in the New Testament, in Romans 12, when the Apostle Paul... Urges the church not to repay anyone evil for evil, but instead, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Paul is, in fact, quoting Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22 here. Now, many people think that this means that when you repay someone's evil with kindness, it's basically a burn, no pun intended. You're making them feel small and ashamed because clearly you are the bigger person. But this kind of passive aggressive in your face is not what the proverb is getting at. See, back then, burning coal was essential to any home as it provided both warmth and a way to cook food. So if someone ran out of coal, they might go to a neighbor and ask for some, often with a basin that they would customarily carry on their heads. So heaping burning coals on someone's head was a way to help someone live. So the message is, when it comes to survival and basic needs, even your enemy deserves your compassion. Now Jesus demonstrates this perfectly when his disciples crawl back to shore, he has a fire of burning coals ready for them. He is extending forgiveness and compassion upon people who really don't deserve this gesture. If you're anything like me, the news cycle as of late is just a source of heartache. The injustices that are being doled out yet again on our Black brothers and sisters are egregious and unrelenting. Why does the hatred of white supremacists and the ignorance of those who fall in their camp keep going unchecked to the point where it keeps costing innocent lives. It's infuriating, and these people seem beyond redemption. There's a newly released anthology of prayers in which there's a chapter by Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes called Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. And it begins, Dear God, please help me to hate white people. And predictably, it's gotten a lot of backlash from people who really only read the first line and immediately got offended in their white fragility. But if you read on this prayer, she's not asking God to help her hate anybody. She's voicing the premise that if she could hate the racists and bigots, it would be so much easier. Here's an excerpt of this prayer. She says, Free me from this burden of calling them to confession and to repentance. Grant me a get-out-of-judgment-free card if I make white people the exception to your commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But I will trust in you, my Lord. You have kept my love and my hope steadfast even when they have trampled on it. You have rescued me from the monster of racism when it sought to devour me. You have lifted up my head when it was low and healed my heart when it was wounded. You have not given me up to slavery or to Jim Crow or to the systems of structural oppression, but you have called me to be an agent of your ministry of justice and reconciliation. This prayer heaps burning coals on the heads of her enemies that's exactly what it's doing because it's life-giving is showing that no one is beyond the reach of salvation and repentance no one even the worst of them is a foregone conclusion and we can keep doing the work to overcome evil with good and hate with love now jesus heaped burning coals on peter's head jesus embraces Peter, a man who had abandoned and even denounced him. In today's terms, Peter stood by and looked on and did nothing while Jesus was handcuffed and slowly suffocated to death. But to such a person who demonstrated such an extreme betrayal, Jesus extends his grace. He reinstates Peter's identity and relationship with him and then he elevates him to now be an ambassador for the gospel to go and feed his sheep. Now what does that entail? In John chapter 10 verses 11 through 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, how often have we been that hired hand? the one that has no regard for the sheep whatsoever. It's understandable because I'm with you. It's exhausting to live in the here and now. What with the prevalent racism and violence, miscarriage of justice, political antagonism, and oh yes, that pandemic is still here. It seems like it would be easier to retreat and do nothing about it. Return to fishing hate white people, be indifferent, be a bystander while people are being killed and systems of oppression prevail. But Jesus calls us to persevere and believe that we can still do so much good in both small and big ways. He demonstrated exactly what a good shepherd does and then told Peter to also be a good shepherd who feeds his sheep instead of a hired hand who runs at the first sign of trouble you see for a family back in the day to give up their burning coals even just a portion of it for someone else would mean putting their own livelihood at risk because what if they ran out too right jesus calls us to that kind of radical love because that is what it means to love our neighbor and even our enemies as ourselves. And that was shown to us when our own Good Shepherd laid down his life for us. Let's pray. God, we confess that we are so tired. We discover daily just how broken and corrupt our world is and we grow jaded with people and the systems they represent. But just as Jesus encouraged, forgave, and reinstated the disciples for their betrayal and lack of conviction, grant us the strength to hold on to hope. Give us the courage to ally with those who are suffering, to stand up to those who seek to oppress and to keep heaping those burning coals on the heads of friends and enemies alike in jesus name we pray amen